Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. The verdict is in. A federal jury in San Jose found Elizabeth Holmes, founder of Theranos, guilty on four of the 11 charges that she faced. We'll talk with Washington Post reporter Rachel Lerman about what it means for Silicon Valley. And then we'll take a walk in the woods. It has been one rainy, rainy season. Around the region, we're getting more than twice as much water as a normal year, whatever that is these days. And that means, among other things, mushrooms. So many mushrooms. We'll be joined by a local fungi expert and the legendary mycologist Paul Stamets. That's all next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Her rise was spectacular. The youngest woman to become a self-made billionaire, covers of magazines, a promise to revolutionize healthcare, and her fall has been equally as captivating. The company in ashes, damning report after damning report, and now these guilty verdicts. We start this morning talking about Elizabeth Holmes, of course, and joining us to discuss the end of her trial is Washington Post technology reporter Rachel Lerman. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Can you just explain the verdict a bit? Like, what did she get convicted of and what did she not? Yeah, so it was kind of a complicated verdict. The jury ended up deadlocked on three of the charges. They found her guilty on four of the charges that had to do with misleading investors. So that was misleading investors who put money into the company by basically telling them that their technology was more capable than it really was. But the jury found her not guilty on the four charges related to patients. So that's the the actual patients who got what they said was incorrect test results from using Theranos technology, as well as uh, actually an an advertising company where they put in some money to uh, direct ads toward potential patients. I see. I see. And is she the first Silicon Valley CEO to be convicted of a white collar crime? Uh, Probably not the first, but it is certainly rare. We do not see this happen very often, especially not for, you know, such kind of uh, charismatic, young, you know, female CEOs. She she rose to prominence because there we often don't see like a ton of attention to these young women CEOs who are, of course, out there all over the place. Yeah. So, I mean, the difference between her and some other high-profile Silicon Valley hype CEOs seems kind of simple. Like, most of those people seem to talk about what their products could do in the future, you know, in five years, a big vision. Whereas Holmes 
really was and was convicted of just sort of lying and defrauding people about whatever the current capabilities of their products were, right? Right. And it's interesting that you say that because one of the things that her defense team tried to argue during the case was that she was talking in the future. She had this quote during the trial. uh, I don't remember exactly, but she basically said investors don't want to know what's happening today. They're more interested in what we can do in, you know, tomorrow in a month in the future. And so she was saying, oh, I was I was uh, presenting this in a future looking way. But that's not what the investors who testified. That's not how they saw it. They thought that she was saying, no, our technology can really do this now. Yeah. And they did. I mean, they falsified, uh, they like sort of hacked machines and falsified um, records of the tests, right? I mean, there, there was evidence that they were misleading in the present. There was evidence, right, that they were making it seem more successful than it really was. So that they were like doing demos, but they were kind of running the demos from the back end so that they would come out with a favorable result. Mm-hmm. There was uh, there was some evidence that they, you know, that they were telling investors that that it was being used on like military medevacs, uh, you know, helicopters. And in reality, like it wasn't, you know, what was true was that Theranos was putting work into trying to get those sorts of military deals, but those sorts of military deals never materialized. So you went to a bunch of the trial and you were in the courtroom when Elizabeth Holmes took the stand. What what was that like? Yes. Um, uh, very shocking. Uh, she took the stand uh, initially uh, late in the day on a Friday, kind of when I think mm. everyone thought that it was winding down for the day, 3 p.m. on a Friday. And they called Elizabeth Holmes to stand. Before that, we weren't even positive that she was ever going to testify. And she ended up on the stand uh, for over the course of seven days. Wow. And what was it like watching her testify? I mean, what did she say? What was her side of the story, basically? You know, I started covering this story long after Theranos collapsed. So I never knew her or followed her sort of in her heyday. Mm -hmm. And I can, but from what everything I've heard about her is that, you know, she's very charismatic, she's very engaging. And I can say like, that was true on the stand. Mm -hmm. She's, she comes off as very relatable. She was very measured and calm and composed the entire time. Yeah. You know, one of the things that Elizabeth Holmes testified to in the trial was that there was violence in her relationship with Sonny Bowani, a much older partner who also was a part of Theranos. Can you tell us a little bit more about what she said about that and how that worked in the trial? Yeah, she did say that. She she accused um, her former partner, who was also right her business partner, he was president of the company for a while, of uh, abusing her, controlling her, uh, sexually assaulting her. Um, it, it was an interesting thing because we we kind of knew that might come up at trial because, of course, there had been some pre-trial moments for it. Mm-hmm. And she she was very emotional on the stand when she was talking about it. What was interesting is that her defense team didn't then take later steps to kind of connect it closely to the fraud. Um, they they didn't bring in the experts that they had kind of said they might bring in, and they also mm. didn't bring it up at their closing arguments. So while it did, I mean, it was like a very emotional part of her testimony. It was interesting because they didn't they didn't seem to kind of like rely on it as a main mm. part of their argument. What do you make of that? You know, 
I don't know. I, that was a little bit confusing to me. I thought if they brought it up, they would bring in the experts to kind of uh, back that up, you know, with like with uh, with expert testimony there. Mm-hmm. And they ended up not doing that. So I'm not sure if it was a way to make her kind of, you know, more relatable to the jury or if it was just another piece of the puzzle. The defense said all along, like, we want to show you that this story is more complicated than you've been led to believe. And so it's possible they were showing, you know, one more facet of her life during that time. Worth noting, too, that Sonny Bowani has des- uh, denied all those allegations and uh, himself will be standing uh, trial in the future. Um, Rich, what is the right comparison here? Is it Bernie Madoff? Um, like, what is there a comparable situation that we can say, like, this kind of reveals something about the way this business ecosystem works. <laughs> you know, the Bernie Madoff uh, comparison gets made a lot, and I totally see why it does. I will say that one thing about Theranos is that although they did raise a lot of money, about $900 million, you know, and they had hundreds of employees, if you think about it, it was still sort of a large startup. Like it is, it kind of passed the phase where we would call it, you know, like a scrappy young startup, but it was sort of one piece of a much, much larger puzzle. So it never kind of got the scale of some of these other massive comparisons that we saw sometimes see like Enron or things Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. What do you think this means for Silicon Valley? Like, do you think this is something that changes the way that people do business or talk about their products or, or no? I think Silicon Valley has uh, done a rather decent job of trying to distance itself from Elizabeth Holmes. They like to say, you know, Uh, very few Silicon Valley venture capitalists put money into this. Uh, She was an outlier. She was an extreme example. And while that's, you know, true in some cases, I think that, you know, others would make the argument that she kind of relied on some of the characteristics and some of the traits that are kind of woven into Silicon Valley, this fake it until you make it kind of ethos. And so I do think that there's some lessons to be learned there and likely some people, especially maybe young entrepreneurs starting out, will take a look at this and, you know, kind of evaluate. At least that's what um, former Theranos employees I've talked to, that's what they're kind of hoping will happen. We're talking about Elizabeth Holmes, founder of Theranos, who was found guilty of four counts of fraud by a federal jury in San Jose yesterday and what the case means for Silicon Valley with Washington Post technology reporter Rachel Lerman. One thing that keeps coming up for us, you know, on our among our producers and and just people that I talk to is that maybe we just like people writ large cared about this case because of the drama and because of the characters and it's sort of it's telegenic appeal and not because it actually meant that much for Silicon Valley. Do you think that's right or do you think there's there's something more at work? I think both are true, to be honest. I think that there, I think that this became so popular because of, you know, because of Holmes, because of the media attention on her, because she was raising so much money from all these prominent figures, right? From, uh, from Larry Ellison, from Rupert Murdoch, from these huge names. And because, you know, she was a young female CEO who was incredibly successful, who was charismatic, who was kind of dominating the media during a certain period of time. And so I certainly think that that is part of the reason why we care at all, right? Because the story had already started kind of uh, before the company came to a crashing halt. But I also think that like, 
in some ways, you know, some people in Silicon Valley and outside of that can see this story as sort of emblematic of pieces of what they've seen Mm -hmm. in the Valley, if certainly not like broader swaths. Yeah, it's like a caricature of the Silicon Valley entrepreneur. Um, You know, one point of connection is, you know, whistleblowers, which are, you know, there's many more whistleblowers in the technology industry than there used to be just a few years ago. And they were also key to blowing open Theranos. Do you think this this is likely to embolden other people working within technology companies that might be making promises that they can't actually keep? I think that's certainly possible. I think, you know, for employees who are concerned about things that are going on within companies, like this could serve as sort of a reminder that, hey, you know, regulators and media are paying attention to this. Like this is something that, as obviously, as we know, regulators and the government took very seriously. Yeah. You know, thinking about this trial, were there other things that came out about the way that the technology industry works, say its relationship to journalists or something that that really struck you as uh, as important? Yeah, there were. It's interesting that you bring up journalists. There was quite a focus on uh, what Theranos told media reporters and what media reporters like how they interacted with Theranos during the trial, which was really interesting because I think we. As we know, we kind of went through a period of time where media was maybe more optimistic about tech companies than they are now, where I'd say that tech coverage is is approached with a healthy dose of skepticism. So it was kind of interesting to go back and see some of these, you know, recordings or emails in between journalists and Theranos, where the main topic of discussion was, you know, innovation. And of course, journalists were also asking those tough questions, trying to get to the bottom of things, but it seemed like a different sort of relationship. Right. Like at, at one point, it seemed like everything was fast company uh, where they're just right. kind of trying to say like, well, what what could this company do in the best of all possible worlds and scenarios? And now it definitely things seems like things have changed. Um, we've been talking about Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes, who is found guilty of four counts of fraud by jury in San Jose. We've been joined by Washington Post technology reporter Rachel Lerman. Thank you for coming on, Rachel. Thank you. Yeah. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We'll be back with more Forum after a short break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening 
because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.